0: This is another episode of the Who da Thunk It Fright Fest. As I said before, for the month of October, all episodes will have one common theme. Spooky, frightful stories. I've saved the most terrifying story for last. It'll be released Thursday, October 29th, just two days away from Halloween. Episodes will get progressively terrifying, so you've been warned. Now, for this week's content, this is Pennsylvania Folklore. Part 3. This story of Pennsylvania's folklore I'm about to tell is one of tragedy. This is the true story of Elizabeth Harriet Wilson and William Amos Wilson. This story takes place in the late 1700s and follows the story of a young woman and man. They were brother and sister. Not much is known about their younger years, but we know the Wilson family lived in Chester County, Pennsylvania. It is about 45 minutes away from Philadelphia. Theirs was a family farm uh, of modest means, but solid reputation. During the American Revolution, they sided with the British. And after the war, much of their property was confiscated by the newly official American military. Their mother, Mrs. Wilson, died while the children were still young. Their father later remarried. But his second wife didn't like her stepkids too much. She encouraged their father to send them away as soon as they were of age which back then was considerably uh, much younger than today. So at 16 years of age, William became, became an apprentice stone carver in Lancaster County while Elizabeth was sent to work in the Indian Queen Tavern in Philadelphia. I wonder if that's still, that's still up. I'd like to go see it. Elizabeth was said to be very beautiful, and wherever she went, she was sure to leave a flock of admirers in her wake. One day in Philadelphia, Elizabeth met a man named Joseph Deschamps. He was an authority figure of some sort, either with the police or military. Regardless... The deadbeat manipulated Elizabeth with false promises of marriage and, quote, succeeded in depriving her of all that could render her respectable in the eyes of the world. Um, in short, DeShong had his, had his way with Elizabeth after promising to marry her, but instead of he fled before any such arrangements could be made. It is believed that DeShong was already married when he first met Elizabeth, and when he left her, uh, he had. It was said that he he was cited with yet another unsuspecting widow in a different part of the country. Back in the 1700s, as most of you can know, getting pregnant out of wedlock was extremely taboo. So at first, Elizabeth went back to working at the Indian Queen, um, just sort of acted like nothing happened. But when her pregnancy began to show, she attracted too much attention. Eventually, the tavern owner forced Elizabeth to leave. What a great boss. Um, I see you're pregnant. You're fired. Uh, with nowhere else to go, Elizabeth began walking back to her father's farmhouse. The journey took her a week to walk. When she arrived, she was in the throes of child labor. That night, she gave birth to two twin boys. As soon as she was well enough to travel, Elizabeth returned to Philadelphia in search of twin, of, her, of the twins' fathers. And wouldn't you know it, the good-for-nothing was right back at the bar at which he had preyed on Elizabeth in the first place, the Indian Queen Tavern. He gave a fake smile at seeing her and again started promising that they would get married. Elizabeth then returned home for a while, but several days later headed out to meet her imagined uh, groom again. She set out on the road to Newton Square, Newtown Square. Uh, That is now the Westchester Pike. She rode part of the way with a neighbor who at some point had to leave her sitting on a rock nursing her babies. What a nice neighbor. They were just 10 weeks old. That was the last time anyone saw them together. After that, no one saw no one saw Elizabeth for a week. When she was spotted again, her clothes were in tatters and her speech incoherent. She was alone with, with the twins, nowhere in sight. Weeks later, a hunter found the bodies of Elizabeth's twins hidden in the woods, covered by leaves. The bodies were immediately identified, and Elizabeth was quickly arrested. Elizabeth Wilson was charged with the murder of her two illegitimate male children and imprisoned in the city of Chester's 4th Street Jail. Her trial began June of 1785 and was held in the courthouse in Chester. The judge was William Augustus Attlee. A little fun fact sidebar here. Built in 1724, the Chester Courthouse is still standing and is the oldest public building still in continuous use in the United States. When asked to enter a plea... Elizabeth did not respond. Judge Adley entered a plea of not guilty on her behalf. In fact, at no time during the trial did Elizabeth speak in her own defense at all. Her counsel was unsure how to proceed. Her lawyer, how do I defend someone who won't even talk? Given her client's silence, he was confused. He requested that the trial be postponed until the fall season, and the judge agreed. Elizabeth Wilson's trial resumed in October of 1785. Attorney General Bradford's case was built primarily on circumstantial evidence, but Elizabeth did not refute any of the charges against her. The jury deliberated several hours before returning their verdict. It was believed that many of the jurors felt sympathetic towards Elizabeth, but they were charged to decide the case based on the evidence presented, and since there wasn't much of a defense presented against it, the decision was guilty of murder in the first degree. Judge Attlee had also become sympathetic but he, too, was bound to act according to the evidence presented in court. He had little choice but to sentence Elizabeth to death by hanging. The date of the execution was set for the 7th of December of 1785. After the judge's past sentence, Elizabeth's parents abandoned her. Throughout the trial and the preceding events, the other Wilson sibling, William Wilson, had remained at work in Lancaster unaware of his sister's predicament But when Elizabeth was condemned to death, William mysteriously announced that he was needed in Chester and would have to leave his job. He arrived at the jail on the 3rd of December of 1785 after recovering from the shock of seeing her brother so unexpectedly, Elizabeth finally was willing to relate the details surrounding her children's murder. William hastily assembled a group of respected officials, including Judge Attlee, to witness Elizabeth's confession. Elizabeth explained that her seducer had agreed to meet her in Newtown Square. However, he unexpectedly met her in a wood around uh, 3 kilometers, or 1.9 miles, west of town. He asked to see the babies, claiming that he wanted to see whatever the, whether they resembled him or not. He ordered Elizabeth to kill the children, and when she refused, he trampled them to death. He then held a pistol to Elizabeth's chest, and made her swear that she would never revere reveal what he had done the confession was signed by the witness william presented it to the supreme executive council on the 6th of december 1785 the president of the council was benjamin franklin the council had previously discussed elizabeth's sentence in the first of november and now acted quickly in order to Uh, to order that the execution be postponed until the 3rd of January 1786 to allow them more time in which to discuss the case. In the meantime, William went to search for his sister's erstwhile lover. But when he found him on a New Jersey farm, he denied ever having known Elizabeth. Of course he did. William then began to seek out witnesses who could link the man with Philadelphia and his sister. He was successful in compiling a list of several people But he became ill around Christmas and spent some time recuperating at a friend's home in Philadelphia. Upon his next visit to the Chester jail, he was horrified to learn that Elizabeth's execution was scheduled for the following day. During his illness, he had lost track of time and believed that it was the 1st of January, but rather it was the 2nd of January and his sister's execution was scheduled for the next day. William sought out the council again and was able to procure a pardon, stating, quote, do not execute Wilson until you hear further from council, end quote, knowing that the members of the executive council were sympathetic towards Elizabeth and intended to grant a full respite. William began the 24 kilometer or 15 mile ride to Chester. He approached the middle ferry across the Schuylkill River Heavy rain had made the river dangerously high and choked it with ice and debris. It was not an operation. In desperation, he drove his horse into the icy water. The animal struggled against the current, but drowned just 50 feet from the opposite shore. William swam the rest of the way, and by the time he reached dry land, he was approximately 3.5 kilometers, or 2.2 miles downstream, from where he'd entered the water. William found another horse and continued to Chester. Meanwhile, officials in Chester reluctantly began preparations for Elizabeth's execution. Elizabeth spent the morning with several clergymen and received Holy Communion. At 10.30, she was moved from the jail to the hangman's lot. Hangings back in the 1700s were different than today. The condemned were swung off. They were placed atop a cart or a ladder. At the end of the rope was tied most likely to a convenient tree branch and the other, of course, placed around the victim's neck. The condemned was then pushed from the perch, or the support was quickly pulled from the beneath the victim. Executions in this manner were often uh, protracted, gruesome affairs, resulting in a slow death by asphyxiation, rather than today where they try to quickly break the neck as for, to cause less suffering. And hangings uh, were considered, as it has been throughout history, one of the most shameful methods of capital punishment. While the execution of women has always been relatively uncommon, there were many instances in this period of women who were hanged for the murders of their bastard children. The Sheriff of Chester, given as either Ezekiel Leonard or William Gibbons, we're not sure, was one of many who had come to believe that Elizabeth was innocent and who, following her confession, suspected that she might be pardoned. He stationed flagmen in intervals along the Queen's Highway on 4th Street leading from Philadelphia, who could signal if William were coming with a pardon. Those assembled watched expectantly for a signal, but none was seen. Noon arrived, and by law, the sheriff could wait no longer. The order was given, and the cart was pulled from beneath Elizabeth Wilson's feet. She did not die outright, as expected, but showed little sign of struggle. Several long moments passed before the crowd noticed white flags waving along the road from Philadelphia. William rode to Hangman's lot calling, A pardon! A pardon! His horse reared at the sight of Elizabeth's body, throwing him to the muddy ground beneath his sister. The sheriff quickly cut the rope and tried frantically to revive Elizabeth, but it was too late to save her. William arrived mere moments too late to deliver the pardon and save his sister's life. The tragic, the tragic, lurid tale of William and Elizabeth Wilson quickly became familiar throughout the Philadelphia area and was told and retold in local papers throughout the 19th and 20th centuries. William could not escape his tragic story. After several months in the state of delirium, William returned to work as a stone carver. However, he had lost all interest in society and eventually abandoned it. He began to roam westward across southeastern Pennsylvania interacting with others Only when he needed to negotiate for provisions. He was known as the Hermit of Welsh Mountain. In 1802, William came to the place that would be his home for the last 19 years of his life. It was a cave that became known as Hermit's Cave, not a house. Despite his desire to separate himself from society, William's hermitage was not particularly isolated. It sat half a mile from a long-established town and was well-known to the locals long before his arrival. While there is no evidence that local residents were ever abusive to William, it became a challenge to visit the cave to catch a glimpse of its famous occupant. However, William was so f- familiar with the cave's topography that he was generally able to avoid curio- curiosity and being re- retreating to hidden areas known only to him. His only personal acquaintance was a farmer who lived across the Swatara Creek in present-day Lower Swatara Township. William made grindstones, which he traded with the farmer in exchange for supplies. On the 13th of October, 1821, the Harrisburg Intelligencer ran the following article. Died lately at his lonely hovel among the hills 12 miles southeast from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, Wilson, who for many years endeavored to be a solitary recluse from the society of men. His retirement was principally occasioned by the melancholy manner of the death of his sister, by which his reason was partially affected. He was observed frequently to be estranged, and one morning was found dead by a few of his neighbors, who had left him the evening previously in good health. As was the case with his sister, the details and location of William's burial remain unknown although it is often assumed that he was buried somewhere in his friend's farm in Lois Awarta township. The story of the Wilson siblings has surrounded has been surrounded by ghost stories in the century since. Locals claim to see a and hear a ghostly horseman riding like mad across Chester and Delaware County all the way to the Chester Courthouse. When trees were cleared to make parking lot for the uh, Indian Echo Cave, It was said that the newly opened space revealed Elizabeth Wilson's wandering spirit. More poignant are tales from East Bradford Township of a female spirit walking through the woods, where, according to some accounts, the bodies of Elizabeth's children were discovered, looking for something lost beneath the leaves. While early storytelling focused on Elizabeth's saga and the moral implications of her actions, the current focus seems to be on the sensational aspects of William's ride, and Elizabeth's execution, and on the strange circumstances of William's life in the cave. As such, the story is sometimes resurrected by local media in connection with Halloween observations as part of, quote, strange but true features. There are many historical accounts for newspa- from newspapers and diaries of those involved which indicate it was all a true story. I can't believe I've never heard of this before writing this episode. What can one learn from this story? Quite a few things. Don't trust people. They may be psychopathic. It might it might be psychopaths capable of murdering infants. Don't hold blind faith in the justice system. Elizabeth literally had nothing and they send, said nothing and they sent her to the gallows like she was on an assembly line. But there isn't much to learn from William's story. Think about his path for a while and you realize it's a stuff of pure heartbreaking tragedy. Perhaps that's why he and his sister's spirits lurk southern pennsylvania forever tormented by the lives that they had led while they were still while they still had command of their corporeal selves on earth thanks for listening hoota thunkers keep tuning in to hear the rest of the Octo- rest of october's hoota thunket fright fest <laughs> <laughs>